Welcome to episode two of the Iowa Revolution podcast. I am Spencer Dirks. My co-host is Dr. Bob Leonard. We're part of the Iowa Podcasters Collaborative, and Dr. Bob is also part of the Iowa Writers Collaborative. So make sure you follow and subscribe to all those names that are at the bottom of this email. You can always subscribe to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Iowa Revolution. You can also email us with any suggestions, tips, things you'd like us to discuss. Iowa Revolution Pod at gmail.com. Again, Iowa Revolution Pod at gmail.com. How you doing, Dr. Bob? I'm pretty good. Hey, we should tell people that we're pretty tired. We've been chasing storms and doing hours and hours of broadcasting. Tornadoes abound, abounded yesterday. No one was hurt. We're on the air trying to save lives. Total of about eight hours on Friday and yesterday, which was Tuesday. So yeah, we're a little bit beat down, I think. And I did see my first ever tornado yesterday. For the past 16 years, I've been inside during severe thunderstorms or tornadoes. So I haven't had a chance to do much looking anyway. And just outside, I wouldn't say just outside, but you know, pretty clear out of our uh, western windows at the radio station, saw a long, ropey tornado going through Marion County. Yeah, and there were several of them. The National Weather Service is out as we speak and are, you know, looking, you know, at their past, their force, um, damage, etc. That's what they do. We're still psyched, though. I'm ready to go. I'm ready for episode number two. We have a lot to get to. A lot of stuff happened that was good for Democrats yesterday, I think. I also want to have a little bit of caucus talk, just kind of explaining what's going on with the caucuses. Um You've been covering the caucuses since, what, 2008, I think was probably your first, uh, which was also the first time that I covered the caucuses. So just kind of explaining what's going on with the Democrats and Republicans and what the difference might be coming up here in less than 10 months now. So we're also going to talk about Caitlin Clark, going to talk about Kim Reynolds denying another $200 million in federal money, uh, all sorts of stuff to get to today. But I do want to start with Caitlin Clark. She was kind of the talk of the whole nation over the past two weeks with the Iowa Hawkeyes making it to the Final Four, then winning their Final Four game, making it to the championship, and then losing to LSU. LSU shot the lights out. There really was not a whole lot the Hawkeye women could do to stop them. They shot LSU shot 64% from three, which was pretty much the deciding difference in the game. And Dr. Bob, I know that you uh, were going to play this here in a minute. You read a poem that uh, was by one of your friends about Caitlin. Yeah, well, every Friday at the last Friday of the month, the members of the Iowa Writers Collaborative get together for our paid subscribers and we talk and we take questions from them. It's really a lot of fun. We close with a, a poem by a, one of our members, uh, Susanna DeBaca, and for some reason she decided to have me read that poem. And I think it's a great poem. I think it's a historic poem about a historic Iowan, Caitlin Clark. Girl Got Game, Unguardable, by Susanna DeBaca. You fly, you float, you soar, as if propelled by the wind, pure energy unleashed, moving, flowing, not asking permission, just going and going, ready, aim, swoosh. Unguardable, that's what they call you, unapologetic, unafraid, 
to take your shot. Boundless, bold, inner fire unleashed, you take flight up and down the court, shoes squeaking like rusty brakes, breaking for no one, an electrifying ballet of elbows and arms, a rocket launching to the net and back and back again. The heat rises in the room like a steam bath, and the sweat glistens on your face, giving you an incandescent glow. You're gleaming like a leaping prism of light as you glide across the court, almost airborne. The years of practice, the hours of ball work, speed work, leg work, the endless days of getting stronger and getting smarter, converge into a rhythm so seamless, so effortless, it's as if you were born for this moment. I think to myself, how easy, how simple it looks, and the young girls watching think, I can fly too. I can be you. I can be unstoppable. I can be unguardable. I can be fearless. Obviously, she's captured the attention of the entire country. Like I said, great poem, great reading, by the way. And what did you take away when you heard the poem for the first time and then obviously read it for the group? Well, I was in the middle of the Zoom call and Susanna said, Bob, would you read it? And so I just glanced at it one time and I read it cold. This one was a different recitation for Susanna. But I just thought that, you know, I've watched Caitlin Clark all season. I'm a casual sports fan anymore. But just like a friend said, I think on Facebook, she said, now nearly instantaneously were all women's basketball fans. And so that was me. And so I watched Caitlin Clark. Uh, I thought Susanna um, just captured her essence in, in a poem, which I just thought was fantastic, and I had to share it. We're going to have to share that with Caitlin somehow. We'll have to make sure that she gets her ears or eyes on that. It's also incredible. You mentioned that it is almost like overnight that – not just Iowans, but people across the country are women's basketball fans. Three games in a row, they set the record for most fans. So in their Elite Eight at matchup against Louisville, that was the most ever watched Elite Eight women's basketball game. The Final Four was the most watched Final Four basketball game. And then the championship against LSU was the most watched women's basketball game of all time, period. Almost 10 million people, which is more than any NBA Finals game last year. I mean, you can, the Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl, I mean, 10 million people watching is unheard of for, you know, Major League Baseball World Series games. They would love to have 10 million or more people watching those games. So the fact that that many people are watching women's basketball, I think, again, 75, 80% of the credit of that has to go with just Caitlin Clark. I mean, they mentioned during the broadcast that she's almost fictional at this point. I don't know if you heard that during the broadcast, but I think that was a great way to put it. She almost is like a Paul Bunyan type figure at this point. Yeah, she's fantastic. And, you know, bringing this kind of attention to women's basketball, the, one of the most interesting things, there's all it's, this kind of thing shakes up everything. And one of the things that was interesting to me was comparing the, the, coaches' salaries yeah. at the University of Iowa, what Bluter makes a women's basketball coach versus what 
um, Brian Ferentz, the coach's son, makes. You know, that's yep. been a bone of contention for me <laughs> for years. But it's that uh, discrepancy is now wide open and just let's see what happens. Let's see what courage the athletic department has at the University of Iowa and actually athletic departments everywhere. Yeah, if, if there is justice in the world she should be getting a pretty hefty raise yeah. pretty soon you would think that they would get her because yeah i think both her and brian ferentz make in the eight hundred thousand dollar a year range and bluter should be making at least a million dollars i think she's only making like somewhere in the two hundred thousands okay i mean i could be wrong you're the sports guy i think she's around eight hundred thousand i think she was just under brian ferentz but regardless she was making less money uh, do want to get in just real quick. Obviously, there was controversy surrounding the end of that basketball game, the Iowa women versus LSU. Angel Reese, another huge superstar in women's basketball. Uh, she kind of gave Caitlin a taste of her own medicine with the you can't see me, John Cena. Kind of chased her around the court. She also was pointing at her ring finger saying, you know, we're going to get a ring and you're not. In my opinion, I think that's good for the game. Even when it was happening, I didn't care. I didn't think it was going to be all that controversial. And then you wake up the next day and Twitter and Facebook is nothing but. And then it turned into, you know, a, a racial thing because most of the Iowa women's basketball players are white. Most of the LSU basketball players were black. So naturally, of course, people try to divide and, and get clicks. And um, to me, I just thought it was turnabout is fair play. Like Caitlin is known for being you know, out there and she will talk trash. And I think Angel was probably just a little bit fed up with it and saying, hey, you lost. Like, <laughs> we're going to win the championship. Yeah, I think too much has been made of it. One of the things that we need to, to remember is these women are warriors. Right. And they're not basketball players, just basketball players. They're warriors. They're going to do this stuff. If it were men, people would have probably made, exactly. not made a big deal about it. Totally. And I think that... Um, Everybody's made too much of it. I was, uh, one of the other things that sort of bothered me, and this is why I'm just a casual sports fan, is I, you know, I came up to one of my favorite places to watch with friends. And uh, one of the things that sort of bothered me was that the people around me were sort of making fun of the, of the girls for their long eyelashes and they were making sure. fun of the Mulkey, the coach, for her flamboyant outfits. And I actually stood up and turned around and I said, these are remarkable, well, I'm being more civil now, <laughs> but I said, these are remarkably accomplished women. They can wear what they want to wear. And everybody just got quiet. Good. Yeah. It shouldn't be part of the storyline. Exactly. They should be able to wear what they want to wear as long as it's within the rule book. Shut up about it, right? Right. And then there's, you know that there's high school girls across the country watching Mulkey and thinking that is a powerful woman. She's dressing like she wants to. She's doing exactly what she wants to do, despite what anybody else says. I want to go play basketball for her. It is kind of interesting, too. We mentioned the racial aspect of it, but it is kind of interesting to me because Kim Mulkey is known for being a Donald Trump fan. She's anti-vax. Brittany Griner, of course, was locked up in a Russian prison for bringing some marijuana into Russia. And that was the best player that had ever played under Kim Mulkey, still probably the best player. And she didn't offer any support. She really kind of ignored the situation. And I think a lot of it was due to the fact that 
in fact, when she was going to Baylor, Brittany Griner was told by Kim Mulkey to stay in the closet. So it is interesting to me that, you know, the LSU team is known as the quote-unquote black team and the Iowa team was known as the quote-unquote white team, but LSU is led by Kim Mulkey. So it just sort of yeah. muddies the waters yeah. even a little bit more. Um, speaking of fashionable women, Kim Reynolds, uh, it's hard to ignore her right now, but once again, she's turning down $200 million. I believe this is for, you know, clean air and clean water, just free money. And I guess you could, you know a little bit more about it. So explain kind of what the situation is. Well, she's been, you know, turning down, you know, COVID money for oh, different kinds of purposes, although she took COVID money to spend a million dollars to help. Well, I would know that was build back better money to spend toward uh, to give a consultant for a million dollars to reorganize the government so she had more power. But she's been turning down a total of about 200 million. This last round was for uh, planning for clean water. And I don't know whether it was ineptitude. In other times, she's turned away money because she said that we would have to gear up and take a lot of state money and we couldn't continue the program into the future. And then that's something that one can at least think about and evaluate. But Iowans are paying federal dollars, we're paying federal taxes, and to not get those federal dollars doesn't make any sense to me. Do you think it's purely political? Do you think it's because Biden, because she's you know against Biden and the Democrats? Or, I mean, what could the reasoning be other than ineptitude? Well, some of it's to, to make a statement that they think is a good statement about oh, fiscal responsibility. We don't need this money, but she needed a million dollars to pay an <laughs> out-of-state consultant to you know reorganize government so she has more power. But it's all it's a lot of it's about messaging. The one about the clean water I don't understand um, because it didn't Im involve any Iowa investment, mm -hmm. and that so that seemed good. So and other things uh, like with respect to some of the money that was declined was about low rental housing assistance during COVID. And that's because she doesn't think that we should, she thinks that our social programs help too many people. And so you want to not make that happen. You want to make it, and you also, they also don't really want government to work very well because if government doesn't work very well, that's an argument for lower taxes and then investment by private industry instead, so it's siphoning public monies meant for the public good into private hands. And that's what's happening with the, the school vouchers, with the educational programs, uh, things that are, that are going to go into private hands. Speaking of Kim Reynolds, too, I know one of the biggest programs that both of us think is great for the country is SNAP benefits. And that's been in the news here over the past couple of days. They're debating that in the Iowa State House and trying to make it more difficult for people to apply and keep SNAP benefits. It's also making it more difficult for people to, you know, making kind of quickening up the process where you only have 10 days to apply if you've been denied or if your SNAP benefits have been reduced. Uh, they're now making it so, or at least trying to make it so they can use more of your assets. So if you have you know, college savings accounts and those sorts of things, those would be counted as an asset, whereas before they have not. So now they're trying to make it make you decide of whether you should feed your kid or send them to college. You can't do both, which is ridiculous. But 
the SNAP benefits are, in my opinion, great for the state of Iowa because it helps our farmers, it helps our grocers, and then it helps our people. I just don't understand. I mean, I understand, you know, Republicans, it's along the same line of thinking that you were just talking about. They don't want government to work. So let's throw as many hoops for people to jump through as we can and then say, you know, look, now we can cut taxes. Well, and there's... First, we need to say they talk about SNAP being abused. SNAP is one of the least abused federal programs. The programs for billionaires are much more abused than SNAP programs. SNAP SNAP helps people. SNAP helps children. SNAP helps our farmers. SNAP helps stabilize our economy. Without SNAP, we would have been in trouble during the pandemic. Big, big trouble. And so part of the reason, well, there's several things going on. One is that there's a economic theory out there that that conservatives use that you that when you get somebody on benefits you want to make it hard so that people that they think don't deserve to be on it quit that they quit and and they they get off of it so you try to make people miserable in the program so they get off of it there's that going on but then let's think about something else if they they want to make people get off snap to make sure that they work and there's a whole lot of people there's like I mean, in our county, there's only a couple of hundred people that are looking for work that could work. I mean, sure. it's it's like we don't have that many yeah, people that are working. Yeah, unemployment rate is 2.9% right now. Right. But then they want it to, to make it so it's unstable. And then at the same time, they're lowering conditions or opening up different conditions to make, to allow more kids to work. So what you do is... You make it hard for people to survive on SNAP, and then, and then so you can get their kids out getting it. Not only have the parent getting jobs, but you have their kids getting jobs too, which will help corporations. So the kids can't have a kid's life. They've got to go to work. And so it's this, and it's happening at the same time, and it's like we can't see that. <laughs> They're making it so hard. Kids have to work. So let's just open up the doors to let kids do all this kind of stuff. It's crazy. Most of the people that are on SNAP, at least in the state of Iowa, are families with two or more children. Roughly about 30% of them are elderly adults, um, you know, people that are 65 and older. So, I mean, you, you add those up, and I mean, the vast majority of these programs are being used, as you said, by the people that actually need them. And it's, they're probably already working. Most of right. them already work. Right. <laughs> yeah, even the elderly. I mean, yeah. they're working at Walmart or they're working at a gas station or whatever to make ends meet and fill that hole that's, you know, left by Social Security and their SNAP benefits. And now they're going to force them to work even more. Yeah, right. And even, you know, whether it's single mothers or families, those people are working too. Again, 2.9% unemployment rate. And now we're worried about people, you know, being leeches off the system. How <laughs> It just doesn't make any sense. And it's all hard. It's all, you know... It's all difficult to, to get on, to get on the rolls. And then there's conditions, and then you get, have to get off. And it's just, I don't know, it's irresponsible. Are you like me? Are you just about ready for this session to wrap up? Because it just seems like every single day that, of course, they did pass that LGBTQ, you know, basically don't say gay bill at the state house. Um, obviously, they're looking at banning books and any sexually explicit materials will be removed from elementary schools, which, you know, who gets to define that? And again, librarians are professionals. They know what books should be in what schools and what grade levels should be reading 
what books. So why don't we just leave it up to the professionals? Why do we have people at the state house that are all for parental control to not give that control to the parents? Well, they're talking about parental rights all the time. Parents have rights. They can go in, they can talk about the curriculum. I've never had any problem when our kids were in school going in and talking. We haven't, but they have to create this thing to act like parents don't have that right. The big problem is that a lot of parents don't want to make an investment in their kids and Mm -hmm. help the teachers out. So I don't know, it's it's a red herring. It's just, it's an excuse to further divide us. And I don't know, there's a certain part of it that is also about perpetuating their ideology. They want to make gay and trans people go away. They don't want kids to hear that it's okay to be gay. They have their very narrow worldview. We may have talked about this before, but I want my kids and grandkids to have a bigger, brighter, more wonderful world than I have. They want their kids to have the exact same narrow worldview they have and they can do that by controlling books and schools and the curriculum and coming up with these you know sort of fake um crises like crt and and people uncomfortable in schools and book bans and and then it gets to just downright let me just say this word evil not wanting kids to learn that there's a virus out there for HPV yeah. because they think that having a vaccine against HPV, the human papilloma virus, that causes cervical cancer, they think that teaching girls, and it can prevent some cancers in boys and men and women, that since this vaccine exists, the girls are going to say, Oh, I can be more promiscuous because I don't have to worry about cervical cancer. Something like 37,000 women die a year from very horrible cervical cancer. Think of, you know, a college football stadium filled with women dying from, from cervical cancer. And they don't want girls to be taught about the vaccination or be given the vaccination because it's going to make them promiscuous. That's crazy. That's crazy. Not only is it crazy, I'm just going to say it's evil. Girls will die in, you know, 30 or 40 years because of what the Iowa legislature has, you know, turned into law. Yeah, fun times here in Iowa. Uh, This is, again, pretty much why we created this podcast. I think it is time for some cock talk. I just want, there wasn't really a whole lot of news over the past week in terms of, you know, visitors to the state, but there has been a lot of news the 2020 caucus was a disaster for Democrats. You were actually on TV the next day talking about what happened with the caucuses. You had a much different viewpoint and just told people, hey, settle the F down. <laughs> this is part of the process. Caucus processes have always been pretty messy. But kind of explain what's going on, because the Republicans are still going to have the Iowa caucuses as their first in the nation contest. But what are the Democrats doing? Well, I think they're going to continue with uh, their plans for the caucus. One of the things that we need to be clear is there's plenty of blame to go around about the problems with the Democratic caucuses. But Tom Perez, who was chair of the Democratic National Committee at the time, hated the caucuses. Mm -hmm. And he put in all kinds of new 
information that needed to be gathering. He broke the Caucasus. It was basically set, yeah, map. set up to fail, basically. Right. That's yeah. what he wanted. And then the Iowans fall on their swords and take the blame. But it was yeah. really Tom <laughs> Perez. It was the National Democratic Party. And so that argument was made that it should continue. I understand the problems with the Caucasus. I do. But there's some plans to make them better, more inclusive. And I think that we should have been given that shot. But I think what's going to happen is the Democrats are going to go ahead. But we'll see if any Democratic candidates show up because there might be penalties for candidates that do show up. Right. But I don't think that that necessarily matters. We don't have that big of an electoral contribution to make to electoral college. Um, what are they going to do? You know, not let the candidates in the debates if they're here. If and you know, I don't. Yeah, know. this is pretty much straight from the Democratic National Committee. Right. Obviously, they're running the you know primary process, and they could penalize people if they wanted to, I suppose. But that also seems like it's just creating more infighting for the right. Democrats, who were no. <laughs> that's one of the best things that Democrats do is is bicker amongst each other. But, it, yeah, it seems like that would be very counterproductive to, to penalize somebody for campaigning to the public, wherever that right. might be. Right. And so, I mean, Ro Khanna's here all the time, mm -hmm. congressman from California. Just because he shows up doesn't, doesn't mean they're not going to—in Iowa, like he's done for years. Right. So are they going to penalize him? And then some of it, they didn't even have it in place with the states that they had to be the new, the new first in the nation states. I mean, like Georgia— they don't think they can pull it together. Right. They didn't even talk to them. Do you want want this? They're just so um, unprepared. And part of this is because Iowa doesn't. Joe Biden never emerged at the top of the list. So. Right. I mean, there is also probably some personal animus right. for whatever reason for some of these candidates or some of these leaders in the Democratic Party. But the Republicans are here. I've seen um, DeSantis, Simon Des Moines. He drew an enthusiastic crowd. Um, Nikki Haley's been here. Tim Scott's been here. Some guy, can't even pronounce his name, some businessman. We always get these guys, really fringe people that just show up that are sort of fun to talk to. They're tilting at windmills. They're trying to get national attention. Some businessmen. Yeah, leaders. when you host your show and whenever you get a chance to talk to a libertarian yeah. or, you know, or a socialist, whatever spectrum that they're from, those are always the best interviews. Yeah, I like talking to them. I'll put them on the air, but it's just like... That's a lot of work to go nowhere, buddy. So what's your big plan? <laughs> right. You know, Marianne, Marianne Williamson was here, and she's in the Democratic, she's entered the Democratic race again, <laughs> you know, trying to primary Joe Biden. But anyway, um, Asa Hutchinson was here last week. I didn't see him. Uh, he's a Southern governor. Um, I'm forgetting where he's from. Arkansas, maybe? Arkansas, maybe. But over the years, I've read a little bit about him, and he seems like more of an old-fashioned Republican. That yeah. to me is a good is a good thing. Right. And uh, he's came out. He's come out and said, I believe he said it in Iowa, that Trump should just pull out. Well, I wanted to get to that actually. Obviously, Trump was just arraigned yesterday uh, or Tuesday, whenever you're listening to this. And what do you think that does to the primary process? I mean, Ron DeSantis has still not technically declared that he's running for president. You would think that he would be the next in line if this does hurt Trump. Although I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts. And first of all, does, does this even hurt Trump? Do you think this makes people even more Trump fans and he's fighting against the machine and, and that sort of stuff? Well, I think that there's all kinds of opinions all over the map. But what I think is going to happen is that, well, I know a whole lot of smart Republicans or have had it with mm -hmm. Trump. 
Um, most of the normal Republicans that I know have had it with Trump, people that read and listen to Beyond Fox News, and they don't think this is a good, a good thing to be indicted. <laughs> I mean, especially for what it's been characterized. It's not just with a like Tom Cotton says. I can't believe we're talking. We're defending a and anyone I'm defending, but that we're defending somebody that uh, that had a relationship that they paid hush money for with a of um, the porn star. And, also uh, another a Playboy model as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, Stormy Daniels gets a lot of the top headline news, but that's almost the like forget her name now. But which Karen McDougal? Yeah, something like that. And her, her story is heartbreaking. She she was in love with President Trump. I mean, she thought that they were in a relationship, and obviously he just kicked her off to the side like he does anybody and anything that he is done with. So yeah, it's, it's also a pretty personal heartbreaking story too. It's obviously, Oh, he paid off a porn star, but it's like, he also paid off a doorman. He also paid off, you know, what seemed to be more of an affair rather than just a one night stand sort of thing, you know? Right. And so will it hurt him? I think that his base is going to believe whatever. Yeah. I mean, they're just going to, you know, they think he's a godlike creature. And so you take them off the table. What are the independents going to to think about this? What are the common sense, old-fashioned kind of Republicans that were after small government, less taxes, mm-hmm. you know, not, I mean, that think that, that we need to, to defend Europe from Putin. Right. You know, those kinds of people. I think it's just slowly... I think these char- people act like these charges in New York aren't that big a deal, but they are. The way that that the DA has brought them together, because not only was that the hush money, it was the hush money in part of the indictment says hush money paid in part to break another law, which that becomes the felony. That's where the 34 felonies come from. And the laws relate to undermining the integrity of the elections. And so we're going to have... This is very serious. The other cases are very serious. And so this is just the first one. Let's say after the second one, is Kim Reynolds and all the other Republicans going to say, oh, it's all politically motivated? And we know, so it doesn't matter it's politically motivated. The only thing that matters is the evidence. And they're not saying, let's wait and see the evidence. They don't want to say the evidence. And to them, they have to decide whether or not the, the evidence matters and the rule of law matters. And sooner or later, I think they're going to jump off the bandwagon. And I think that's just going to take somebody big to make that decision, and they're all going to to follow because he's facing like four major, major lawsuits and some civil suits, and then there's stuff that we haven't even seen any any movement to take things that look pretty seriously, like violation of of U.S. law in his circle in his family. I mean, the payoffs to Mnuchin and to the family from the Saudis, billions of dollars from the Saudis. It's just like, those are all, those all should be investigated. Violations of the Hatch Act, you know, um, he's just getting in more and more trouble. And I think that slowly people will pull away. And I think that it, that what can happen, what he's, what he's hoping is happening is that there'll be so many Republicans in the primaries, that they're going to split the vote again like they did in 2016. But I think somebody's going to emerge to be a credible threat. And and it could be DeSantis. People loved DeSantis when he was here. He had over a thousand people. He said all the right things to the Republicans. And I think there's going to be some people that say, well, you know, 
I don't, I don't really care if it's Trump or DeSantis as long as it's not a Democrat. And so I think there'll be some, a lot of people that would cast their vote for DeSantis, or maybe it's Mike Pompeo. He's been here too. He's not getting a lot of traction. Nikki Haley hasn't gotten a lot of traction. Maybe it's Mike Pence. No, it's not Mike Pence. <laughs> Mike Pence. I know how much you love Mike Pence. No, Mike Pence is a soulless, <laughs> empty shell of a man. Yeah, a weenie. He's a, yeah, he's a pathetic <laughs> creature. I, mean, I've, I talked with him a month ago, maybe, and he is just so disingenuous, such a fake. Spineless. Spineless. Yeah. Spineless. There might be some jelly in there, but not <laughs> right. much. So not no, much substance at all. No, the other people, I don't know, there's a lot of people running for vice president. I think Nikki Haley's running for vice president. Tim Scott's running for vice president. Kim Reynolds seems to be constantly putting her hat in the ring. I mean, she, whether it's Ron DeSantis or Trump, but she wants to be on that ticket one way or the other, it seems. And, and a, a lot of people are saying that. I don't know that. However, I do know that her record here as a Republican is second to none. That yeah. if she was a man, I think, or if she was from a more populous place, they'd be talking about her. They're talking about Glenn Youngkin. <laughs> right. I mean, my God. Yeah, he's the new hot name. Yeah. <laughs> when Glenn Youngkin is your new hot name, yeah. you better start looking so for So I don't names. know. I think, I think by virtue of what she is and her in Republican terms has accomplished, she's second to none. Yeah. So I don't know what she wants. You know, rumors are that she's not going to run for governor again, but I don't know if she'd want to be vice president or not. But people, just based upon her record, she's a credit. And Doug Burns has talked about this, former editor of the Carroll paper. I mean, really good writer. So, yeah, so it's not, a lot of people are talking about this. And a lot of people are saying, no, she doesn't have a shot because they all remember her as, you know, as a legislator from Osceola. Yeah. And so she's grown into a very powerful uh, public figure. It's time for some good news. What's good on the Iowa Revolution podcast? I'm Spencer Dirks. He's Dr. Bob Leonard. Uh, Keegan Murray, who you don't even know <laughs> when I was no. first going through the notes for the show today. Keegan Murray, of course, the former Iowa Hawkeye, uh, first team all Big Ten, first team all NCAA. Just a fantastic player. He has now continued into the NBA. This is his rookie season. And not only has he surpassed the NBA rookie record for three-pointers made, but he's also the first ever player to make 200-plus three-pointers in a regular season with about three or four games left to go. So he's just going to continue to add to that record as we go along. His younger brother was a player for the Iowa Hawkeyes this year, most likely going to be going to the NBA draft at the end of this year. Uh, so, yeah, good news. We talked about Caitlin Clark and uh, Keegan Murray also continuing his uh, pro career, getting off to his pro career in a fantastic way. Averages about 11 and a half, 12 points a game, you know, a few rebounds. And the Sacramento Kings, the team that he plays for, just won the Pacific Division. This is the first time that they're going to be in the playoffs for like 19, 20 years, something like that. They had one of the longest playoff droughts of any, you know, major pro uh, organization or league and he's been a huge part of that so uh, congratulations to Keegan Murray also you just had a story today uh, Peace Tree our local brewery just off the square in Knoxville they just won Iowa's favorite beer absolutely and that's something to be proud of I mean there were 64 teams in the Des Moines registered beer bracket that goes yeah, along they did with, just, yeah. just sort of like the NCAA tournament yeah, yeah. and they and Peace Tree is it. It was the Blonde Fatale, which is the World Cup 
winning beer a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's won many awards before, yeah. yeah. No, it's fantastic. There's there's a lot of good peace tree beers. And if you are going to try Blonde Fatale, if, you, if you've not tried it yet, and this might get you to try it because it is Iowa's favorite beer, uh, I don't drink anymore, but it is dangerously good because yes. it has very high ABV, alcoholic uh, content, you know, per 12 ounces. I think it's like eight point something, nine point something. So just have one, basically, is my point. <laughs> uh, two is like max. Because, yeah, when I used to drink, I could drink very easily, uh, could drink very well. And, yeah, two or three of those put you on your ass, even if you're a, you know, <laughs> pretty consistent professional drinker. So, but, yeah, congratulations to Megan McKay and her staff at uh, Peace Tree. That's just a fantastic honor. And Iowa has, it's not like this is, you know, a foregone conclusion. Iowa has all sorts of great breweries, Toppling Goliath and Confluence and, you know, 515 Brewing. I mean, you can go on and on. There's all sorts of great beers throughout the state of Iowa. So, yeah, this is a big deal. That is a pretty big deal. Uh, it's time for my top five. Okay. I did uh, tell you that we were going to be doing top five Reese's Shapes. And, of course, Easter, just a few days away. Do you have any plans for Easter? Do you celebrate Easter? Because we don't, really. Um, we're going to go and uh, visit my sisters and niece and oh, nice. relatives and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So Looks like a nice weather weekend. So do a little bit Easter egg hunting and spend some time outside. Uh, the kids are all too old for yeah, that. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, so. Yeah. No. I don't know. We'll see. Spend some time outside. you got to walk off the Easter, uh, you know, Ham lunch and or, yeah. mashed potatoes and gravy and everything. Uh, did you even know that there was five Reese's Shapes? I had no clue. <laughs> One of the things that people in the podcast will soon learn that the breadth and depth of my ignorance <laughs> go to infinity. Far and wide, Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, no, I had no clue. All right, my top five, top five Reese's shapes. Number five is pumpkin. Number four is just the regular cup. Number three is the Christmas tree. Number two, and this might be a surprise to some people, is the egg, which is the Easter iteration of Reese's cups. But number one, do you know what that would leave for number one? What I've left out so far? The heart. Yes. The heart is the number one. It has to be. I think so. Do you know why the heart came to symbolize love? I think I do, but please explain. No, you go ahead. Well, isn't it uh, like two hearts put together? I haven't heard that. I've heard that like, because yeah, obviously a human heart is not the shape of a heart, but right. I've heard like if you put, you know, two hearts together sort of tipped on their side, it creates a heart. So it's like two hearts. It could be. But... What I've heard... By the way, I will trust you. Don't, don't take my word for it. Go with Dr. Bob's definition. Well, apparently, <laughs> there's this kind of fennel that grows on the coast of North Africa that the Greeks and uh, Romans would use. And it was fennel tastes like a little bit like licorice. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's an herb, and it, it had medicinal properties too. But the shape of the seed is shaped like a heart and fennel is purported to be by the Greek, Greeks and Romans a very powerful contraceptive. Really? Yeah. I had never heard of this. So that's why the heart <laughs> so it has the represents heart. love and love 
also has a connotation to yeah. sex. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I've heard. <laughs> well, that's a great way to end the second episode of our podcast. This is Iowa Revolution Podcast. Uh, you can again follow us on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. Uh, make sure that you subscribe so you get all of our podcasts sent right to your email. We do this on a weekly basis. They drop usually on Thursdays. Uh, that might change um, kind of as we go along. We might even add episodes as we go along as well. But as of now, it's a weekly thing. Uh, you can also email us, iowarevolutionpod at gmail.com, iowarevolutionpod at gmail.com. And again, we are part of the Iowa Podcast Collaborative. And Dr. Bob uh, goes under Robert Leonard for that Iowa Writers Collaborative, Deep Midwest. West is his sub stack, so you can just Google Robert Leonard Deep Midwest, and you can also buy his book called Deep Midwest, and then also make sure you subscribe to his sub stack. So anything else, Dr. Bob? No, thanks, Spencer. It was fun. Can't wait till next week. And yeah, again, make sure you subscribe, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.